today. That's Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one son was Gersom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father has help, has my, was my help excuse me, and delivered me from the, war, the, the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he had encamped at the mountain of God. And when he had sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law before God. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. I'm glad I got through that. I had a little trouble reading through that. Um, but by the gracious hand of God, he, he got me through that verse just like he got the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, so... I, I, I wanted to pause here on, on this passage and to take some time to talk about something special. I, I, because we were, we were going to jump into uh, the, the Ten Commandments, and we were going to start talking about that. And as I was reading along, uh, this particular story here really uh, caught my attention. And the reason why it caught my attention is because it deals with evangelism. And I felt like it was a very important thing for us to take the time to talk about the importance of evangelism and, and talk about some specific things, you know, like who's called to it and what should it look like? Uh, you know, what, what, are, what are things that we should practice in our evangelism? Uh, when you look at this text here, it takes place in the time period between the Exodus and also uh, what we would call the ratification of the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, or if you want to use a different word, the implementation of the law on Mount Sinai, when God reveals the law and, uh, and the Israelites are called to follow it. And Moses and the Israelites uh, had just defeated uh, Amalek, and it was, a, it, was a, a very, it was a wonderful battle where you saw the so- sovereign hand of God uh, basically win the battle for them. And they also have come to Mount Sinai, and this is no accident. They came here as the Lord had said they would come here. Uh, so they're, they're at Mount Sinai as the Lord had promised that they would be 
once they left Egypt. So there are a lot of good things that are going on at this time. Uh, this was a time of, of real celebration. Um, maybe you can think about it sometime in the past when things are just going really well for you and your family and, and, and there's that, that sense of real celebration and also real thankfulness to the Lord uh, for the blessings he has given you. Well, that's exactly what I, I sense that uh, the Israelites are going through at this time. Because you think about it, they have suffered and been oppressed for over 400 years. We've talked about that and mentioned that several times. I believe it was 425 years of oppression and slavery that they suffered under the hands of the Egyptians. And they are now free men and women. That alone would be reason to celebrate but God had done more for them than just that. Um, they won their first battle, and I can sense that they saw themselves as a strong army, knowing that uh, the Lord was their strength and their courage, and he was their everything. So they were free men and women, and also a strong army, and all because of the Lord. So this was, this was a time of celebration for them and thankfulness. Now, um, this was also the first time that Moses had seen his family um, since the Exodus or since before the Exodus. And the first time Moses had seen Jethro since leaving uh, for Egypt. And the Bible records their interaction. And I want to read, read verses six through eight, just so that we can get a better understanding of what's going on. It says he went uh, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, and coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Now, that may sound foreign to us, you know, when we don't normally go bow down before people that we haven't seen in a long time. We may give them a hug. We may give them a kiss. But it's the same thing. It's a sign of love and respect. And that's what's going on here between father-in-law and son-in-law. And they asked each other, their welfare and also went into the tent. So basically they shared their pleasantries, wanted to make sure each other were okay. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. I love that part in particular because Moses doesn't waste any time. Um, he shares uh, his testimony of what he has seen God do. It seems like that was of utmost importance. So we need to notice that how Moses urgently shared what the Lord had done with his father-in-law, what, what the Lord had done for Israel with his father-in-law. Again, he didn't waste any time. Uh, he didn't waste any time to talk about the goodness of the Lord. It was a sign of respect. Let's talk about pleasantries. Okay, I need to tell you what the Lord has done for me. And when I see that, it, 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 prompts something in, it prompted something in me. It, it, it lit a fire in me to uh, realize that we need to be about our father's business. And that's exactly what evangelism is. It's, it's being about our father's business. It's about growing the kingdom of God. And uh, we have a wonderful example of that here with Moses and how he shared uh, God's goodness with his father-in-law Jethro. Now, um, we need to notice that also that by Moses sharing the redemptive story of God's goodness with his father-in-law, well, that prompts Jethro to a genuine faith and true repentance. Isn't that wonderful? That's what, 
by Moses being obedient in that fact and sharing God's goodness with him, uh, Jethro comes to saving faith. You see, before the Exodus, God told Moses that everyone would know that he is the Lord. And when God revealed that to Moses, it was because of the mighty miracles and, and the signs, the wondrous signs that God would do. But now we also seen that we see that being accomplished through uh, the testimony that God gives of the Lord. Faith in Christ and repentance from sin. You know, that is the victory of our evangelism. We evangelize to see that. That's the reason why we should evangelize to see faith in Christ and repentance from sin. But that can only be accomplished by the power of God. It's not accomplished by our wit, our way with words, the way we have with people, our charisma. It's not accomplished by that, but rather it is accomplished by the power of God. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. So that brings me to our summary, our sermon summary. And it's this to see genuine faith and true repentance as a product of our evangelism. We must be persistent in sharing the gospel. I mean, Say that again because that's a mouthful. To see genuine faith and true repentance as a product of our evangelism, we must be persistent in sharing the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about today. I think there are two important things when we talk about evangelizing uh, that we're going to talk about today. First of all, it's we have to share the truth. That's that, that's that's vital. We need to share the truth. And then also, we need to know that the truth always prevails. Okay? So if we are obedient and sharing the truth, and if we have faith that the truth always prevails, I think we'll see God do a lot in evangelism. See, first point, we must give the truth to those who are seeking after the truth. It doesn't make much sense to give them anything else. You know, my wife, every day we have we almost have this conversation, and she's such a blessing from the Lord because she'll call me and she'll ask me what I want to eat when I get home. Right? And so normally I get to, you know, pick within within certain reason of what I want, you know. But it but that's a harder phone call that's a harder question to answer than you you would think because she would she calls and she asks what do you want to eat and I have to I sit there and I think about what I want to eat but let's just say that she calls and says what do you want to eat and I say well I want a big steak tonight and I get home and instead of steak I get a little piece of chicken let's just say that happens that doesn't happen but let's just say that that does happen I'd be severely disappointed right I'd be severely disappointed. That's not what I would be expecting. That's not what I would be expecting at all. You see, we have people who are searching after the truth. They're searching after 
something that with substance. They're searching after something that they need. And many times in evangelism, they're not given the truth. Instead, they're given something else. They leave disappointed, empty-handed, nothing that they can use. There are those among God's elect that are, they are lost at this, per, at this current time. And as I said, they are searching for the truth about God and themselves. And the only way for us to help them is to give them the truth that they are seeking. And the wonderful thing about that is that if they accept the truth, they will be set free. Listen to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a promise that we have in Scripture. You see, you see, sharing his story as it pertains to Scripture with those who, we'll call them seekers, those who are seeking the truth, who are lost and seeking the truth, sharing his story with seekers is the only cure for their condition. What is their condition? Well, they're, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. Yet, God has prompted them to search after the truth, and he has us as vessels who carry this wonderful gift around that we get to share with them. They are like the dry, dead bones the Bible talks about. In other words, they are like the living dead. We've all seen those movies where we see these zombies walking around, half dead, half alive. They just... It's just an odd thing, but if you think about those who are lost that way, they may be physically alive, but spiritually dead. They're alive, but dead. See, the only way they will have life is if the Holy Spirit gives it to them. That's the only way they will have life. If the Holy Spirit gives breath to them through the word of God that we share with them. Case in point, when we look at chapter 18 of uh, Exodus chapter 18, we see Jethro and we see Moses and we see their conversation. And verse one says that Jethro, uh, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, listen, he heard all that God had done for Moses. He heard it. At some point or another, he heard it. Curiosity came to his mind and he became a seeker. He wanted to know the truth. So he had heard what God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, I can just imagine how the conversation went when Moses said, I need to leave to go to Egypt to take God's people out of Egypt. Jethro, not being a believer, probably told Moses, you're crazy. You're crazy, you'll never be able to do it. Now, that's not said in scripture. I'm just going through and thinking what my reaction would be if someone ever came to tell me and, and told me that and I wasn't a believer. But now Jethro has seen the mighty things that God has done for Moses and for the people of Israel. He has heard how God has brought them out of Egypt and now he's seeking after the truth. He's seeking, after, uh, he's seeking after proof. Is God really that powerful? Is God really that way? Who is this God that they worship? You see, he sought out Moses for the truth. He was one of those seekers. He was one of those living dead. And Moses did not disappoint. Moses told his father-in-law, 
the Bible says, all that the Lord had done. He didn't waste any time doing it. And he told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And he told all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. That's verse 8 of chapter 18. Now, one thing that's not certain, not certain in, in the passage and also in my study was that no one knows what faith Jethro was as a priest, but he was probably a, a polytheist, meaning he worshiped many gods. Poly means many. So he worshiped many gods, and he may have, had a, he may have been a religious man, and he may have known who the Lord was, but he did not know the Lord. He did not know the Lord, and we know that there's a difference. But after Moses shared his testimony concerning what the Lord had done, Jethro came to know the Lord. He came to know him. Look at verses 9 through 11. Jethro said, Blessed be the name, or blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Listen to this. Now, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. As I said, he may have no, he may, he knew who the Lord was, but he did not know the Lord. Jethro did not come to know the Lord by himself either. As we know, it was the Holy Spirit that revealed it to him. And the Holy Spirit revealed it to him through the proclamation of what God had done. That's extremely important when we talk about evangelism. That is an important truth for us to remember. If it is genuine faith and if it is true repentance that we want to see in someone's life, then the gospel is the only tool for that. A couple weeks ago, I'm, in, I'm, I'm enjoying the day. I'm uh, in the backyard and I'm cutting my grass. And I'm going along and there's this particular little uh, mound of dirt um, that I've been meaning to break up and I haven't yet. I've been kind of doing it with my lawnmower as I pass over it. I've been doing it the lazy way as I pass over it every now and then. But this particular time, I'm driving over this mound of dirt and all of a sudden I hear just, Big banging sound. Bang! Lawnmower shuts off. Oh, no. Well, the reason why there's a mound of dirt there is because there's a big root underneath there, a tree root. And my blade hit that tree root, and it bent my blade up really, really bad. So I get my, my lawnmower, and I look underneath, and I see that my one of my blades is bent, so I... I know I need to go buy another one. So I go and do that. The very next day, I go and do that. I bring the blade back. I propped up the lawnmower, and I get under there, and I start working on the blade. I spend two hours, I think, two, two and a half hours trying to remove the old blade and put the new blade. Problem is, I don't have the right tools to do it. But me being me, right, I'm going to go ahead and just work on it with the tools that I have. I'll make it work. 
I'll make it work and I'll replace the blade. Well, that was a wasted two and a half hours of my life because I couldn't even begin to remove the blade. I couldn't even loosen the nut to remove the blade with the tools that I had. So then I, I get on YouTube and I, I, you know, figure out, type in, how do you fix a blade? And I look and there's tools that are lined up for it. I said, okay, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go buy these tools. I'm going to come back and try to fix this blade after that. I go buy the tools. I come back. It takes me 10 minutes, 10 minutes to change the blade and put the other blade in. I learned a vital lesson, right? First of all, I learned that, that, that I'm still hard-headed after all these years. Second of all, I learned that if you have the right tools, things are a whole lot easier and you can go a lot further with the right tools. When it comes to evangelism, the Bible is our tool. There, there is no other replacement. Our story is not a replacement for it. The Bible is our tool. That's what we need to use whenever we are evangelizing to those who are seeking after the truth. It is the truth that they need. With Jethro, he came to know the Lord by the testimony that Moses shared about the goodness of the Lord. You see, there are others who need to know what God has done for them. And the surest way to do that is through the proclamation of his word. The London Baptist Confession of Faith says this, the, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It's, it's a tool that God has given us to share with the lost. So when people are seeking after the truth, our job in evangelism is to give them the truth. Our second point today is, that the truth always prevails. Always. The truth always prevails and brings about its intended purpose. You see, as Moses shared the truth about God to Jethro, the Holy Spirit did his work, his work, to bring, to bring Jethro to faith and repentance. Now, I want that to be an example to all of us. When we are truthful witnesses to what God has done for us, and in accordance with the scriptures, the spirit uses, he uses that to bring about God's intended purpose for that person. That's what we have to know. That's what we have to make sure that we are reliable, or excuse me, make sure that we are obedient in sharing the truth of God's word. As the passage says in Isaiah 55, 10 uh, verse, verses 10 through 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word does what it needs to do every time. Every time. We, we need to make sure that we are faithful ministers of that word. That's our responsibility in evangelism. 
We are to give the truth and we are to give it accurately and faithfully. You see, the Holy Spirit uses the ordinary means of our preaching, of our teaching, and our testimony of the gospel to save the lost, to edify his church, and believe it or not, to further harden the hearts of those who refuse to believe in and submit to Christ. The word of God does all that. Brings the lost to him, edifies the church, and even further hardens hearts. That's why it's so important for us to continue to share it. I remember growing up, you know, I came to Christ when I was 19 years old. And, 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 and I, I came to, to saving faith because, and I shared this story before, um, but it's important for today so that we can realize the importance of, of, of the truth of God's word. But I, I came to faith because I met Alicia and one of the rules for dating their daughter was that I had to be in church. And before that, I was not going to church anywhere. And I, I went to their church and I visited. And honestly, I just went just to just to meet the requirement of that rule. And I went there for over two years before I came to Saving Faith. And Sunday after Sunday, my heart was challenged. It was hardened. It was I went through a whole bunch of different emotions. I even laughed at the preacher sometimes, not out loud, but, you know, kind of inside like that's crazy I you know that's not true you know just different things that I was saying to myself as the the pastor was preaching and I did that again for over two over two years but then one day one day I saw clearly the word of God grabbed a hold of me and I saw that I was a sinner and I needed a savior nothing else worked not even the pretty, beautiful woman that I was dating. Whatever she said, it didn't work. The only thing that worked was the word of God. Now, not everybody's that way. Not everybody's that way. Some people hear the word of God preach to them or talk to them for the very first time, and they, they, they get on their knees and they accept the word for truth, and they come to saving faith. Others, it takes 10 years, not two. And some, they never come around at all. But for us, that's not our worry. As vessels, we do not know the outcome of us sharing the gospel, but, and it's none of our business to know, because I, I think that knowledge is too much for us to handle. All we need to know is that God will bring about his intended purpose for that person. We just need to be faithful in sharing it. You see, we plant the seed of the gospel in people's lives. We water it. But the Bible says it is God who gives the growth. So for those who are lost, we give them the truth. For the saints who are in Christ, we give them the truth so that it edifies them. And we depend on God for the results. So... Talking about these two things, what's the application for our church today? Well, first of all, I know that we all have Jethro's that we know. We all have these seekers. We all have 
people who are living dead in our lives. And these seekers who have placed their faith in many empty things, many different idols, they are searching for the truth about God and, and, and about themselves. Now, in order for us to be effective in any way, we must give them God's worth. We must, God's word. We must give them the truth that they are seeking. They are seeking a steak, not a small piece of chicken. We must give them what they are seeking, and we must trust God with the results. Now, I want to say that there is freedom in knowing that God is in control of their salvation and that, and that it doesn't depend on us. That's a lesson I did not learn until about, I would say, five years ago, four or five years ago. I used to remember standing up here and I would prepare my, well, I would prepare my sermon and then the end was always so hard for me because that was, that was the time where I was going to call people up front and that was the time I was going to convince people that they needed the Lord. Problem is, I'm a horrible salesperson. I, I, I don't like to sell anything. If my kid has to sell something and there's, there's stuff left over, I'd rather just buy it than go around asking people if they want to buy this from us. I, I just do not like selling things. It's not my thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just don't like doing it. And I used to, every time it came to that point, it was awkward. And I, I, I couldn't say the right words. And I knew I struggled with that. And I walked away and I would think, man, if I only if I were better at that, more people would come to Christ. Then I learned. It's funny. I had been preaching that whole time. And, and the truth was in God's word. And hadn't seen it that faith doesn't come based on what Ricky says but it comes based on what the spirit does and what the spirit does with the word that is given once I realized that it was my responsibility to be a good steward of his word then everything changed at that point I said okay I can do that I can give, I can spend the time I need to give his word honestly and truthfully. And it's so wonderful to leave the results up to God. It is so wonderful and so freeing that I'm not responsible for people's salvation, but rather it is God who guides us to Christ. And we need to remember that. So we need to be a faithful witness of the gospel. And we need to do this by testifying about what the Lord has done for us. And we need to trust what God's word is going to do with people after that. When you talk about a testimony, it is defined as a, a statement made by a witness offered as proof. Moses gave his testimony to Jethro about the Lord. Basically, he was just a witness to what the Lord had done. Now, I could spend some time to talk about what a testimony is not. That would take a long time. I'd rather say what a testimony is, short, brief definition of it, just so that we can make sure that we are doing it the right way. When we talk about a testimony, we need to make sure that it is God-centered. When we evangelize, I think we're all familiar with that term. We need to give our testimony, we say. 
Well, the problem with a lot of testimonies nowadays is that they're man-centered. They're focused on us and how, how bad we were before, but now how good we are now. Again, that's like that piece of chicken. They don't need that. They need some edification. They need to be saved. They need that stake. They don't need to find out how bad we were back then and how good we are now. They need to find out how that happened. They need to find out who did that for us. So it's not about us. Our testimony is really not about us, but rather it is about God who has done his work in us. We are not the main topic. We are the vessel that God is using. So we need to make sure that our testimony is God-centered. It is about him and his wonderful, the wonderful things he has done for us. His love, his grace, his holiness. All those things need to be mentioned in our testimony. And it, is, it needs to be God-centered, so it needs to be driven towards him. Second of all, it needs to be scripturally based. Because we know that it is scripture that convinces the heart and mind that Jesus is Lord. So it doesn't help for us just to tell a story when we talk about our testimony, but rather it needs to be scripturally based. We need to share the word of God when we're sharing the testimony that we have. And third, I put this in here because I think it's important. It needs to be short. You ever heard of short and sweet? Give people short and sweet. I think that goes a whole lot further than just going on and on and on and on. Tell them about God. Tell them about the good things he has done. Get to the point. Challenge them with the word of God. Let them know their state as a sinner. And pray for them. And the last thing I want to say about a testimony is that you need to be ready to share it whenever with whomever. As the Bible says, in season and out of season. We always need to be ready to give a testimony of how good the Lord is for us. Evangelism is very important in the church's life. I think people think that there are certain people who are called to evangelism. And the truth is, is that we're all evangelists. We should be. We all have been given the charge to tell the world what God, who God is and what he has done. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is what we are called to do. We are called to give people the truth and then we are also called to depend on God for the results. I pray that all of us as a church that we engage people with evangelism. That we challenge people with the word of God. And that we see God work. We see him work in the midst of, of us sharing the gospel. Let us pray.